I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> the Matrix Resurrections. We can't see it. But we're all trapped inside these strange repeating loops. Billions of people just living out their lives. Oblivious. But this is the moment for you to show us what is real. I remember this. So deja vu. And yet it's obviously all wrong. Maybe this isn't the story we think it is. They taught you good. Made you believe their world was all you deserved. But some part of you knew that was a lie. Some part of you remembered what was real. It's so easy to forget how much noise the Matrix pumps into your head. Something else makes the same kind of noise. War. important choice in Neo's life. It's not his to make. She believed in me. It's my turn to believe in her. Part of me feels like I have been waiting my whole life for you. If you want to see Trinity again, fight for her! This is our first recording of 2022. Sharon and I saw what we will refer to from now on, so that everyone can keep track, Matrix 4 on Christmas Eve Eve. And it's been just over a week since then, and we have recruited some incredibly insightful folks. Welcome back to the show, Victoria Luna B. Grieve. Hello, thanks for having me. I am certainly old code made new. <laughs> Alexa Vargas. Uh, hi, and uh, in the spirit of Matrix 4, I don't have a reference. And Brendan Agnew. How's it going? So I have a feeling that you three loved the movie signif- loved the movie significantly more than Sharon and I did, considering the effusive responses and discussions on our Discord. That's why we brought you on. We are going to talk about the various themes, subtext, and details, because what interests me the most, and I suspect the best service we can be to our listeners, is focusing on enthusiastic analysis of the many choices made by Lana Wachowski flying solo as director for the first time in the cinema. So I have a selection of key characters, some new, some returning, some new and returning, and I think this is a case of unfortunately nobody can be told what The Matrix Resurrections is. You have to see it for yourself. We would get too bogged down and use our time explaining the plot otherwise to talk about it, so the best use of our time is examining what we all saw rather than attempting to just tell you what literally happens on screen. 
So definitely see this first, in whatever the safest way you can. I wanted to ask about a ground rule. Mm -hmm. And that is very specifically because The Matrix as a franchise mm -hmm. is, oh God, I can't believe I'm about to talk about this, a cross-media platform. Uh, <laughs> and this movie I'm is sorry, I forgot the Animatrix, Enter the Matrix, The Matrix Online. A couple of PlayStation 2 games, which are pieces of the puzzle that now pretty much nobody can go back and re-examine. And a now dead post-World of Warcraft MMORPG boom and failure era PC title. You know how everything had to be a looter shooter and then everything had to have a battle royale? That, but with MMORPGs. So The Matrix Online is the, actually the important... This movie is a sequel to The Matrix Online? Yep. Almost every single thing in this movie that somebody would say, hold on, that doesn't make sense, or mm -hmm. that seems like a weird call, is answered by events from The Matrix Online that I inexplicably have information about. Oh, which, which, but inexplicably is fine. We don't need the explanation, yeah. but if you can fill us in on, on a lot of things, that would be great. <laughs> Well, as the operator to an extremely terminally online red pill, um, my, my friend, my de my dearest, uh, like, soul sister, Astra, actually was, like, a major player in the Matrix Online. Yeah. And so when you I say know red pill here, are we referring to people who actually understand the Matrix or people who have deliberately misinterpreted it so that they can complain that they are being <laughs> fucked over by blue-haired feminists? Well, specifically... Dudes. Red pill in the terms of Matrix Online was was the player characters. Okay. It was the, I, I have a feeling that you will get annoyed by my knowledge of this thing. Um, I and, could and not I wanted possibly to ask, get annoyed. I, I mean, <laughs> I might tease you about it, but I'm not going to get mean, annoyed. That is extremely fair. But it's just like really weird deep cuts, like um, how my friend Astra was instrumental in Morpheus's death, and Whoa. the actual did they kill him? Morpheus, yes. Okay. So, okay. So uh, the thing about the Matrix That's like Online. the climax of Matrix Online. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that I knew. I knew that Morpheus was dead canonically, and I also knew that the Matrix Online was technically canon. Well, let me, let me ask this. For, for the other two, uh, Alexa and, and Brennan, did you play the Matrix Online? I, I did not, and I also am very regretful I did not have time to look up anyone who has, like, a YouTube video breakdown or whatever. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> so... In, in in as as quick as an explanation, and I have never played it, but again, my dearest friend, uh, certainly for the time of the game, was extremely involved, and we talked about it all the time, and I actually went back and tapped her recently in preparation for this to get stories so I had a better understanding. So The Matrix Online, briefly, was a three-sided MMO that had machinists, which were human players, red pills that were working with the machine factions. You had the uh, red pills that were Zionists, they were the working for the human factions. And then you had the Merovingian red pills, which were working for the Merovingian, obviously. The thing that set the Matrix Online apart from other MMOs is the fact that the Wachowskis were actually involved in it. Mm. They specifically stated that it was a canonical uh, like addition to the Matrix films to the point where it was still involved in the Matrix 4 and 
it relied very heavily on live events where they had actual developers and people in-house who played the named characters in the game. Right. So you actually had the, the people, the players, who were extremely involved with the uh, the Matrix Online and with what was going on actually got pulled into individual instances where they got to take part in um, events that uh, actually shaped other events that went on. Like, again, I can talk about what my friend Astra did. She was involved with a scene with the Oracle that was played by an actual human, like, developer and involved uh, continuation of various, like, side plots. Uh, she was the she was one of the lead captains who was tasked by the Merovingian to get the means for the assassin to kill Morpheus. Like, she is the reason that the assassin was able to kill Morpheus in in wow. that moment during that there were there's sort of two climaxes to the the MMO as far as I can tell um, but that was sort of a big one and there are so many other little things again uh, after work for the Merovingian the reason that the Merovingian is is and all of the exiles are covered in garbage is before the purge which was the final event of the matrix online uh, the the purge that leads to this new matrix um, they brainstormed, they called in all their lead captains and brainstormed how they could possibly avoid getting flushed with the rest of the, the programs during the purge. And the Merovingian and several of the X-Files, uh, Exiles. <laughs> Side note, this um, reminds me a lot of Free Guy, as did The Matrix Resurrections, but continue. Yeah. Um, oh, Conceptually, uh, that sounds like precisely what was happening. Yeah, there's... I have thoughts about Free Guy, but I wasn't on that episode, or that episode didn't happen yet? Question mark. Anyway. No, it happened. I saw it happen. Don't tell me it didn't happen. I, <laughs> Alex, I, I barely remember what happened three days ago. Yeah, um, okay. So I, I am on break. I don't go back to work till tomorrow. Life is meaningless and void. Um, <laughs> you lack purpose. <laughs> I do. So uh, until you brought me onto the show, which is great. Um, okay, so they, they were they were brainstorming the, how not to get flushed. Yeah, and and the way that the Merovingian and the Exiles avoided getting purged was they dove into junk garbage code that was they like essentially left on the drives. That like, meant they the all store. had to dress like the train man. Well, that was the thing that it was just a weird moment because if you're watching The Matrix Four, when the Merovingian shows up, you're like, "Is this a like? What is the purpose of this? Is this a reference? Are they? Why are they all covered in garbage?" And the like, the one, the the, the like ten people who played The Matrix Online or knew the people who played The Matrix Online like, know. I get that reference. That's cut. just yeah. for me. It's so weird. That's a minority um, within a minority within a minority. And I wasn't even one of the people who played it. I just know about it. Right. But even a big a big part of the Matrix Online was trying to track down the fragmented RSI for Neo, the residual self-identity, uh, mm. which is also sort of kind of like the human soul made code thanks to the oligarch project, which I'm not getting into. Can I pause <laughs> for one more second? Um, just, just to give people an idea and a picture in their head of folks at home. Imagine if you took the engine, because like, you're probably probably imagining a much more awesome looking game than what I'm looking at here and what I remember seeing in the early 2000s. Imagine Grand Theft Auto 3 wearing <laughs> a Matrix skin that someone's modded. Yeah, it it didn't look great. With a bit I, of Second Life in there as well. 
I didn't think the combat was all that interesting either. Like the actual moment to moment, which is one of the reasons why I didn't play. But it was the stories, the these these kind of um, like role play opportunities mm. with these dedicated characters, like that. So one of the final events that Astra, my friend, took part in was working with Niobe to save Sati from the purge in the Matrix and to get her into oh, nice. Kujaku. Like, all of this comes into Matrix 4 in a way that just blew my my damn mind. And it would have <laughs> taken place how many decades before? Because there's uh, a separation of, what, 60, 70 years in the uh, films? 60 years. 60, 60 years. 60 years. Yeah, yeah, it's 60 years between the events of the Matrix. Well, it's 60 years since Neo's death, mm-hmm. so I think it's like, 40 years or 50 years since Death the end of the quotes, online. Uh, same with Trinity. And the years have <laughs> been kind. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, in real life, too. Mm. But Absolutely. Um, yeah, we were just saying, like, how are they? Like, Keanu Reeves is 20 odd years older than me and he's, looks way better. He is pushing 60, seriously. <laughs> well, with the beard and the hair, it's really working for me. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> to quote the one character, but and, and Carrie Ann Moss, I mean, gosh, seeing her recently in um, Jessica Jones mm. as like amazing. a high power. Oh my God, like high-powered lesbian lawyer. Like, okay, hi, how are you? I could go on about like how the events of the Matrix Online relate directly to the uh, resurrection of Neo and Trinity through the use of their RSI and all this other kind of stuff. I can imagine getting RSI (laughs) playing this. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, Neo's RSI got fractured all over the place, and everybody had to pick up the pieces. It was a real problem. Um, and then also like a big event during the Matrix Online was was keeping the the Smith virus at bay because it kept popping up when like nodes were activated. It's it was- a Smith. <laughs> I mean, it's well, like then- l- looking at the, uh, this uh, these oh. sort of Matrixy people running around. It looks like a really really low res version of New Donk City from uh, Mario Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the thing is, is the game itself didn't look like anything that was that special. So it ended up whittling down. I mean, although I guess compared to other MMOs at the time, but also, can uh, you it, confirm that this the the one we saw in Resurrections is in fact the seventh Matrix, with the sixth being the one that Neo, being the anomaly, presided over. Uh, that was the one flushed in the Matrix game. So how many how many previous Neos did the, the um, one I think, the architect uh, say? Neo he was referred to the by the architect as the sixth. The sixth. So that means that there were five before. That this is the ninth matrix. If oh, you shit. count the two beta matrixes that they made before. The yeah, I was I was gonna say he had that one where he's like, it was a perfect world and everyone fucking hated it. It was a disaster. <laughs> yeah. Entire crops were lost. There were two. There were two beta matrices before they made the matrix that right. we. And See, they, there wasn't enough time, I assume, the for the one to occur naturally? Or was it just that the entire crops were lost was the instigating incident? From before the way the, he describes yeah. the first one falling apart, I suspect that effectively everybody in it becomes their own anomaly. Mm. Oh, shit, a world of ones. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's... There's not enough of, zeros. We have to start I mean, again. <laughs> it's like Smith says at the end, anyone could be you. Mm. The one specifically was an anomaly that created from the code finally being stable with the first true matrix. Mm-hmm. And the 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 machines didn't know what the hell it was. It was basically like a ghost in the machine, if you will. And uh, it they, they can no only contain it. <laughs> yeah. They can... <laughs> well, actually... <laughs> Given the Spoilers evolution, the end of the movie. yeah, right. 
So, but the idea is that the machines didn't know really what the anomaly was. They were only able to contain it. And the anomaly uh, continued doing weird things, making the one, and then they kept rebooting it just to essentially uh, reset this weird anomaly and to reset. It was an overflow error. Yes. (laughs) Basically, but then once the once Neo and Trinity, so what they needed was a trans lesbian polycule to really activate the problem in the system, and then everything went to hell. And that was the first movie. This appears to be a deliberate anti-Matrix film. Discuss. It's both a deliberate anti-Matrix film, but it's it's using, and it's playing fair. It's it's using established character relationships. It's using like all of this lore that it's built up to to deconstruct certain perceptions about, you know, and, and they're very deliberate about doing the focus group meeting and you know kind of pinning that particular target on the wall. Um, but but then what it's doing is it's kind of like almost two looping DNA strands going in separate directions of like, yes, we're deconstructing all of the things about like, you know, some of the conceptual things about the Matrix. But what it's also doing is it's 100 percent like reaffirming all the human connection stuff and like the the like deep empathy going back to the original film and the it, not necessarily necessarily like reframing it, but uh, reaffirming the the emotional connection between the characters and the the fact that this is a love story. Mm. It's absolutely a refutation of a lot of the cultural cruft that has built up over twenty some odd years about mm. the Matrix from people talking about it, and that that's obvious. Like so much of that is just literal textual to the point that anyone missing that is just not listening to the movie. But it wouldn't is be also, the first time. No, it wouldn't be the first time. But it, it's just if you can't catch that, you didn't even read the subtitles. But uh, it's also a, a creator going back to their work and just having a conversation with their younger self about what they themselves have created and not mm. in a not a destructive way and just sort of a mm, I don't think I need this piece anymore kind of way because. I mean, this was the Wachowski's second film, yeah. The Matrix. I, I like, can't... Like, we're going to do Bound in the next few weeks. It's part of our commission season. I am you. flabbergasted <laughs> that they went from a little lesbian noir, which was, you know, very stylish, but very small and contained, to this metaphysical, philosophical, cyberpunk node laden down with heavy lore that while it wears its influences very much on its sleeve, appears to have come out of nowhere. All the Matrix films have this sensation of being just something that the creators shoved every idea they had into. Mm. And it's not at all surprising that some of those ideas they've walked back on. Mm. Specifically aesthetics wise, there's there's a lot of things that this movie has put, like it's very careful to recreate like certain things about what you think a Matrix movie looks like when you're in the real world. But so much of these actual stuff in the Matrix, um, from from the fact that it's tinted slightly blue instead of green at the beginning to the way that they they shoot action and, and reframe events, like it's very much an aesthetic refutation 
partly because you're you're looking at a okay how do we differentiate this new matrix and figure out how to express that visually well the the old one gets repurposed as a video game so now we are speaking in terms of like film language reflecting a real life versus a video game sort of aesthetic and that i think really strengthens the films like use of violence as a as a mode of not like destruction or or loss of innocent life but of escape and protection because so much of what we think of a matrix movie being about is about action sequences and resurrections is to to you know sometimes to its detriment arguably is very reticent to to give you the sort of aesthetic cool action just groove and vibe that again and they they target this in that in that pitch meeting that people associate with the matrix and some of the again the very obvious text that that kind of hit on this point for me is the corporate running away with the concepts so it felt like lana taking back some of these ideas that she put out there and got picked up and possibly distorted over time by the how can we repackage and sell this my, my favorite uh, review is, this is just the Twitter exchange between Elon Musk and Lily Wachowski in <laughs> a cool movie where he said something about red pilling and she just said, fuck you. Um, but I see that Brendan and I read at least one article uh, that was the same. But um, I actually disagree a little bit with the refutation, like aesthetic, the mm-hmm. anti-matrix perspective. I feel like this is just as much aesthetically and textually a movie of its time as the original one was because the original matrix coming out in the end of the nineties was the matrix quote unquote was more about the society and this kind of like high level simulation where everybody is like living their lives. While this one is much more about weaponized unreality, which is something that we all have to deal with on a regular basis. Here but in we 20, live in a society, Victoria. Joker told me. Is this, is this our Joker moment? No. Um, <laughs> but, but the, the entire point of what the analyst does in this new matrix is weaponized on reality. It is the same thing that QAnon is doing in real life. Um, hmm. And I feel like there's a lot, you know, the first, what, third of the movie is a bunch of wonderful punches at a lot of the meta conversation around the matrix quote, like capital T capital M. I, I, I do see this movie as having less, producer influence involvement it was in joel silver it, uh back in 1999 so it was very much a kaboom y'all uh, mentality yeah yeah even just thinking about the way that the agents in the original mm. uh movie were depicted as this overarching problem because if you go against the system mm. in whatever way uh like you know if you're we can go into the the metaphors and stuff later, but if you go against the system in some way, anyone can become, can be, can be co-opted by Mm. the system, which makes everybody kind of tragic in the sense that they could be, because there are people, most of the people in the, in the one, two and three in matrix one, two and three are people. They're copper tops as bugs would call them. Mm -hmm. But in four, the bots are not people. They are specifically created to be to to make the unreality to weaponize against 
the actual blue pills, the 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 copper tops, as it were. Uh, and this is something that they I, I feel like they did because of the conversation around blockbuster movies that happened in the last several years, thanks to Marvel, about the like wide destruction of human life being a major climactic moment. Like you look at the lobby scene, and and and. Uh, Neo and Trinity are shooting up a whole lot of people, but also some cops. And um, <laughs> and it's the idea that those are actual humans that they are killing, mm. uh, but they're they killed doing Paul it. Blart seventeen times. Yeah, and and they have to because they are all so deep in the the Matrix, mm. aka cis heteropatriarchal capitalism, that you uh, that you cannot get away from that they are dangerous to you and they are doing it almost out of a kind of defensive reaction because if they do not kill these people they will become agents Mm -hmm. in the new matrix like almost everyone you see is low-key a kind of agent a bot just waiting not to be taken over by the system but to essentially be co-opted or um to, to be activated. activated, activated. Good, thank you. Activated by the system that they they're more dangerous, but more justified in eliminating. Which is honestly one of the reasons why I think the I I love the fact that the violence is more for an emotional end than for a big, uh, like blockbustery, boomy kind of of thing from the original Matrix. Jump, so, it's, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it was James McTeague on this one, and I believe he uh, directed Ninja Assassin with them, and I think V for Vendetta. So it's someone that they know and that they trust, whereas Joel Silver was old Hollywood already when they got to him. I think the um, it's it's it is definitely not the same style as the original Matrix, but it doesn't feel like it uh, threw that style away just to say that it's no good or that it, it's not worth anything. It's more just an acknowledgement of the fact that if it were to look and feel exactly like The Matrix, it would feel very, very dated. And also just the Wachowskis are kind of beyond that style now just from their other movies. Like, there's a lot of Sense8 all over this movie, and I mm-hmm. also noticed, like, uh, specifically the train scene in Tokyo, that felt weirdly Speed Racer. And mm-hmm. that is not something I get to say much because nothing feels like Speed Racer. <laughs> the other thing uh, to to build on what Victoria was talking about in, in terms of how it uses the aesthetics and the differences between the, the matrices and, and how they showcase the systems of control is that so much of what the original Matrix was doing was keeping all these humans, these batteries in a holding pattern and just like basically tapping into their their like lowest ebb energy and just keeping like the system running. And so you you get a lot more. It, it's just a lot more static, just in general. And the the new the new one, which there's a lot more kineticism. It, it also means that sometimes the the set pieces are a little bit choppier. But just watching these movies back to back, the the fourth one moves around in space a lot more visually. Um, the the way the system is set up in this it's specifically to attack people's emotions and not just to like keep them in a holding pattern but to specifically keep them like miserable and you've got like basically you have the matrix as twitter with with bots and fake news and like these masks and and the the different splintering versions of identity that are specifically there not just to keep people docile but to maximize their emotional like 
their emotional pain so that they're better batteries. It's they're maximizing emotional engagement from their victims. It is, it, it's a lot to take in on a first viewing. Yeah, which and, does and tie in a lot with that concept of the the reason why social media heads down the direction that it does is because what it wants is engagement. It actually doesn't care what that engagement is as long as it's engagement and ultimately getting people angry engages them and causes them to uh, to react and to share things and, and get involved with talking about things more than any other emotion does. Angry Joe made a whole career on it. So did uh, Alex Jones. So did a lot of people, yeah. It, it is a pervasive gamification of reality to enhance productivity and engagement, which is something that is distinctly modern day that is not a thing from the 90s. Mm. This actually, uh, to some degree, ties in with it in terms of us all being able to see into people's lives. Why has this new version of The Matrix positioned Neo as a celebrity and how? Well, from a from a screenwriting perspective, it's actually really brilliant to have him be the creator of The Matrix games, which are literally just the first three movies as games like and and they don't go at all into how that actually works in terms of how you would play them it does seem like game technology in this new matrix is ahead of where ours is just in terms of what it can actually functionally do we've been watching uh, while you've uh, while we've been talking the whole way through the matrix online and we're currently now on enter the matrix from the ps2 era woof I loathe this era of games. But it having, is so ugly. Having um, the Matrix within the the reality of the fiction mm. of this new Matrix, oof, that's a sentence, <laughs> is uh, very useful in terms of like uh, making sure that everyone within the story is on the same page, yeah. even if that wouldn't really make sense. The historical a... documents. It's that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Everyone, it's kind of the fictional the documents about documents. the actual history. It's the opposite. Every, everyone's read the historical documents, mm. and that means that uh, Neo is very close to his own story, mm. but he's so close, he's so zoomed in on his own past that he can't actually, like see it or uh, absorb it in any sort of way. Like, if Neo was just some guy in this new Matrix, he would one day, I assume, stumble upon this world-famous game trilogy, and it would awaken something in him, and he Mm. might, you know, start having ideas. Mm. But by having... That's actually literally what happens to Trinity after she plays the games. Mm -hmm. Um, But since he's so close to them, and uh, Bug says this out loud... They trivialized his story to a certain degree by making it something, eh, yeah, I made a really popular game. And then all these uh, kiss asses showed up and told me I was the best thing ever. And it was really hollow and empty. And they made all of this asinine entertainment. They've removed his ability to have any kind of perspective or space between these events and what he's experiencing now. And that makes it very difficult for him to pick out from that what's real and what's not Mm. what's a memory and what's something that he just spent ages writing Mm. it's the same like they're hiding him in plain sight from everyone else and from himself Mm. this must be a hazard well this is i can tell you right now a hazard of writing meta 
Like if, if you if you actually start incorporating real life into what you're doing and not just uh, uh, mirroring specific moments from reality, but mirroring specific personal moments, those lines do blur and you start to wonder how much of yourself you've put into these characters and how much are you kind of drawing backwards from them. This was briefly referenced a few minutes ago, but how has the action changed since the early 2000s? This was the thing that really struck me almost immediately about this film. How has the action changed to reflect our evolving relationship with violence? I don't think Neo ever picks up a gun. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think learned. he entirely uses martial arts and then his new like shield and repulsion power. Oh, he's spamming uh, that thing. Yeah, he, but, he does not use a gun. I checked. Yeah, and I think that that right there is is. But a he doesn't big pick up a gun in in either of the two sequels. He's he only uses martial arts weaponry and his own fists and feet. So it's obviously that was they were already having to cater to the fact that Columbine happened just a few weeks after uh, The Matrix was released, and those little fuckers wore black trench coats, which draws direct parallels with these. The, the lobby scene with, with gun-toting yeah. looking cool but violence was still cool in the Matrix sequels the violence in this is not cool um okay uh... <laughs> okay I did not find the violence in this to be cool I I, I, I mean you're right that it is not nearly as cool as the trilogy um, it doesn't have Yen Bu Ping doing choreography. Oh my God, does it not? No, it really doesn't. Uh, there's a lot more use of uh, handheld camera in action scenes. There's not. It's not lockdown framing. They they didn't. I'm assuming they didn't do nearly as much like comic book storyboarding for this one, which is just sort of an evolving thing the Wachowskis are doing. But um, on my first viewing, I thought the action was really choppy and hard to follow. On my second viewing, which wasn't in theater, I actually found that it's not terribly choreographed. Like, the, the all the good action bits are there. They're just not perfectly framed like That's the trilogy the, is. The specific original trilogy was... They, their focus uh, was to frame the action so that you could really see each movement and they would slow it down obligingly and they handled slow down in a way that Zack Snyder who has imitated them repeatedly can only dream of in terms of stylization but I got almost immediately that that was definitely not the intention with the action that they were putting across here the action as the film continues evolves in its clarity it never showcases the gunfights in the way that the original films did mm-hmm. because even even when it's neo uh, not neo using guns when it's uh, trinity and morpheus they're still doing like the the big john woo hong kong like slow motion diving through the air sort of thing oh yeah they definitely and, did that and there was a lobby callback in the third film most definitely and it's uh, exactly yeah. and 
and you still have like you still have characters doing that, but it's always from the the action is always from Neo's perspective, and Neo is almost always uncomfortable, specifically with guns. So whenever there is a gun thing happening, the film's visual language sort of reflects like how that's just distracting and a little bit terrifying, mm-hmm. and characters can use them for heroic ends but guns are never like heroic weapons the way they they are allowed to be in the original and what happens is that as neo gets more and more comfortable being back in his own body the camera starts to hold on the action longer and longer you can literally see this happen in real time in the dojo fight Mm -hmm. you have lots of very quick cuts of like shots one shot per blow of morpheus hitting neo evolving into a longer shot of Neo fighting back and blocking until you get to the the midpoint of the film, which is the the big like Smith Neo throwdown. And while that's a little bit like shakier and a little choppier, it's still very clear. It's still very geographically sound, and it's literally like punctuated by like okay, yes, he is as he becomes more one-ish. The the film's like showcasing his his abilities more and so you're able to to see these things more because that's what's important it's not you know the people getting shot that's not important it's it's what they're using these actions to do both in terms of their their self-actualization and their goals connected to other characters they care for there is also a moment when a gun is used specifically for an emotional situation and where the analyst has been referring to bullet time a handful of times already and obviously seems to think it's something fantastic and cool and and is is something that the 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 bad guys if you like of the film are focused on there is the bullet that is used as a countdown where it's so terrifying and you you that it's almost like the destination of a bullet path is inevitable but you so don't want it to be because Mm. of what you know is going to happen at the end of it yeah and neo's superpower repeatedly used in this one is still a major callback to a significant moment in the original film it's the stopping the bullets it's the holding his hand up and preventing violence and he later uses basically the force pull in the Matrix Reloaded. So they've they've managed to do this neat thing of like, okay, we're not just introducing abilities out of the blue, but we are doing different things that you won't expect. And I, I honestly think that by the time you get to the end of the film where he's using like the the basically the force push to like throw vehicles around, like by by the time you get to there, when specifically when he and Trinity have reconnected, their stuff regardless of like how you know a little bit zany the 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 bullety shooty things are with the the bot horde their stuff is pretty crystal clear down to like the big slow-mo wide shots of them framed on the top of the building and diving off and all of that um nobody needs to defend this or refute this because this is just my reading on it while i was watching it i realized what the point of the uh, action was i actually found it repellent uh, i i hated the action in this film. Not like, I want you to show me awesome action, but like, I, I got really quickly that uh, the the gist of it, especially when people are, by the end, hurling themselves out of windows and dive-bombing, using themselves as human shrapnel. 
I, it felt like Lana was saying, you don't want to be near violence. This is like when there was that giant morass of cops all trying to stop Neo and uh, Trinity touching. This is the violence we see on the news now. It's not the least bit cool. I wanted every action sequence to stop as soon as it started. I wanted to do the Neo thing of like, vroom, just like stop the bullets, but also stop everyone else. I wanted to be away from the action in this film. And to a degree... Part of me wished that there had been a variety of action that was framed in different ways. So specifically, the young were d- sort of imitating the Yan Wu Ping Matrix stuff because they like had seen the Matrix, quote unquote, had seen, and it was cool. So it's well framed for them, and in their heads, they're doing the kick-ass action. But by the end, someone who's actually been in the thick of it, uh, the the um, the the horror of humans smashing together in the dark uh, makes violence as as itself something that we need to evolve beyond because it made me feel really uncomfortable and i'm sure that was intentional but it also like you were about to be sick as well but that was mainly down that to the was... fact that the the uh, <laughs> the theater we were in was Boiling hot and roastingly hot in there, but also uh, it was the the train scene. There was a lot of um, travel motion going on at the edges, which which of course, like the original Matrix framing of action was not only not like sick makingly jiggly with the camera, but actually, like I said, it it was smooth and it held. And it was attempting to accomplish something entirely different. And it did accomplish that, which is to bring fights from anime and comic books into live action in a way that the technology of the time could manage. And in doing so, it precipitated and paved the way for the era of the superhero action movie. People always credit Spider-Man, and absolutely, Spider-Man is pivotal to that. But Neo versus Smith having that big Superman fight, as much as everyone didn't like it, effectively said, we can now do Superman like this. But now we are sitting on, uh, what, 20 more years of superhero films that have gone from kind of creaky at the uh, edges to being absolutely magnificent. And to that end, you don't have to prove that you can do, like, for a start, you don't have to do martial arts. It's all over Netflix, like, uh, Andrew Jupin said when uh, they were talking about the original uh, Matrix, this was the first time he'd seen wirework kung fu in a big movie in America. Because if you remember, at the end of the 90s, that was just about the time when Jackie Chan had actually broken his way into Hollywood. It took that long for martial arts to become something we would expect to see in the cinema. And then obviously that paved the way for a lot of fighting. It was effectively the death knell of the muscle-bound Schwarzenegger and Stallone and Van Damme of the 80s and 90s, because now they could train, quote-unquote, serious actors to fight like the martial arts professionals. Ergo, in the 2020s, doing that is not special. And guns and explosions carry with them a hefty psychological toll for the audience. This is why so many characters in Marvel movies use fighting sticks, tasers, swords and daggers that bloodlessly dispatch, and laser blasters. And the Avengers and the Guardians tend to fight robots and aliens, and robot aliens, and we're not supposed to think too much about the families of these robot aliens. John Wick can kill a hundred henchmen, or a bunch of bounty hunters who have looked at the cash money that they can get by running at John Wick with a knife, and weighed up their own lives and thought, it's worth it. It never is. But The Matrix is about all of us. So it requires some deeper thinking on what the action means. 
You know, uh, as you're talking about this, I, I'm thinking back to the... Because I, I didn't watch it in theater, mainly because the COVID numbers are really bad yeah. and all of the viewings were nearly sold out. I'm like, yeah, I'm not not going to do that. Thanks. We um, have a new rule. Well, we had a new rule over Christmas in the UK um, that specifically got sent out in an email by the audience saying, new rule, everyone must wear masks. It, it, it was previously optional, but everyone must wear masks inside the theatre. Not a fucking mask in there. Just Sharon and oh, I. Just Sharon and I. In the corner, squashing ourselves into the wall. Not a single mask. So that was probably making me feel bad as well. Yeah, there was a whole group of um, like local trans girls. We were all going to go out and see it together, which felt like appropriate. And then only three of them went because everybody else looked at the numbers and were like, oh, no, no, I'll watch it on HBO Max, thanks. Oh, it's right here yeah. in my living room but uh my brain kind of glossed over a lot of the the action scenes mm. i th i think i've just been trained by by marvel films at this point uh <laughs> too much pre it, yeah i mean kind of they, they don't really like convey a lot about the characters but but as you're talking about this i'm thinking about how the only the the, the this is a heist film mm. more than more than an action like a violence film and the violence is almost entirely meted out by the you know the system the state so to speak the the kind of monopoly on violence that is the the system the matrix the bots and and things and even the other captains the other folks who show up to help them they only do it in defense to escape mm. um instead of like they're, they're the only like red pills that use guns really mm. i guess you could count morpheus 2.0 in the the sort of bathroom scene but the it, it's just the idea that the the vast majority of violence, because even then that was to oppose the the police and the military guys that were coming in, the bots. Um, but the state has the the monopoly on violence, and that's something that we are seeing more and more in every day. In a sense that the thing that actually matters is connection. It is relationships. It is community, which is in a lot of ways I think represented by you know, Neo and Trinity touching hands and blasting everybody back, letting them get a, letting them escape, but just um, bugs getting back into the now locked down bugs and Ma uh, Morpheus going into the matrix when it was locked down and they didn't know if they could get out specifically to save th their girlfriend, Lexi, which I mean, come on, violence is the last resort for our main characters other than the dojo scene which i think is set apart from the rest of the violence in a real specific way that i'm still working on in my head but i'm really starting to see that from from what you're saying mm. and especially on the second viewing like i'm really thinking that i think you're on to something there mm. um so actually since we're on the subject of bugs and lexi and uh, morpheus 2.0 <laughs> How does the movie, and we can incorporate Jada Pinkett Smith returning in Back to the Future 2 makeup as uh, Niobe, how does the movie handle the young and the passionate versus the old and the cynical? Um, oh, this is a, this is a real can of worms. Mm -hmm. um, most uh, fascinating for me from the old cynical perspective is that um, I don't think this is exactly what happened in The Matrix Online, but what it's in this movie itself, it said that uh, Morpheus had unending faith in the new order that Neo died to create. The machines had a deal where people who didn't want to be in the Matrix could just not be in the Matrix, and he was sure that this deal would never break down. And then it broke down because uh, an energy crisis created an inter-machine uh, civil war. 
huh, okay, that's uh, scary. And uh, yeah, no, that's why Zion fell. And uh, it's not stated exactly how, but that's how uh, Morpheus died because he could not believe that the piece that was forged could fail because he was a very faithful character. And Jada Pinkett Smith, in a similar way, has gotten kind of old and stuck in her ways. And her ways are to protect the gains that have been made. And she's not wrong necessarily because the gains have been very fruitful in a literal and figurative sense. The old and the cynical is the 19th Fast and Furious movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're getting there already, but carry on. It almost sounds like a modern day Western. (laughs) Yeah, starring Clint Eastwood. Oh, my blood's boiling. (laughs) All these blue-haired feminists. Mm. Sorry, carry on. Speaking of blue-haired feminists, though, I think a really subtle but important thing, Bugs is gendered by two people in the entire film, Mm -hmm. an agent at the beginning and Niobe. Otherwise, nobody uses uh, feminine pronouns for Bugs. Ah, nice. This film is very clearly a a post-Trump sort of reflection on societal gains and one of the ways that it is is having uh, to balance well, uh, clarification post the 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 rise to presidency of trump or post trump's removal or so tr- via demo- via democratic fair voting uh, uh, let's, let's obviously say post- this was due for the end of 2020 wasn't it originally uh yes this this is a a, a post rise of trumpism there you go uh uh, movie be- because you you very clearly but it's have not post pandemic a- significantly. Well, no, um, but but what you have is is a is a creator who has very clearly had some definitive social conscious issues even in their early films. Who has gone through a major period of transition and is looking at how bad are things now versus when we made this seminal groundbreaking work and and Lana is just very clearly using these older characters to go like okay things are still horrible in some ways things are bad in some ways things are genuinely better you know you have like Sebebe you have Morpheus being able to literally transit we we see a character literally transition in the first 20 minutes of the movie gets a new body and everything that's pretty amazing um but but you still have these characters trying to reckon with how do you balance protecting the gains that you've made and how do you not stop fighting for more both to both to like validate the younger people who are following you and their goals and their wants and their wishes and and how like that's something they should be able to pursue but also like how do you do that responsibly and that's something that Lana Wachowski was not necessarily subtle um, before, but but now it's just very blindingly obvious in terms of how do we reckon with the state of the world, and the the way that she uses her characters to to sort of balance on that knife's edge of like yeah, there's a new matrix, it's worse than ever, but we still have more people with us now in spite of everything we've lost, and the the way that they use the characters. Sp- splintered in the beginning and then fully united in the end across generation generational lines is is a very neat sort of screenwriting uh shortcut that she uses for that during the course of the film 
young versus old. What are they both trying to achieve? Especially people um, who've seen this film twice, because it's actually a little vague in my head what Bugs and Company were looking for. They, they wanted to get Neo, but then what? Well, Neo still it, got his source. Like, basically, Neo's still the one. Mm-hmm. Like, he never stopped being the one. He's got the source code from the original Matrix. He's able to to re rewrite things and to to basically free minds. Like, we see him, um, and, and the way he breaks free of his RSI is like how Bugs got free. And so he's he's literally there, being able to to show people the way, but he can't do that effectively while he's still being blue pilled by the system. And so the way that the new Matrix works is it makes people miserable, but not want to not be miserable. And that's what Bugs is trying to fight against versus Niobe being like, no, we've just got to protect what we've got. The, oh, the analyst very specifically says that um, this new version of the Matrix he's created where rather than what the architects set up where um, you just kind of recreate late 90s uh, Earth and just set it and forget it and just let people drown in their boredom. Um, the the new analyst has uh, set up a system uh, at the heart of which he's got um, Neo and Trinity just not able to connect with each other, just barely unable to get back in touch. And that um, that uh, sense of loss creates a lot more energy than boredom. And he's and we don't see this necessarily, but it's it, he says that he's doing the same thing to literally every other human in the Matrix, where he's not letting them get what they want, but it's right there. They can just barely see it. And this makes a lot more energy and also kind of numbs the uh, urge to escape more so than the uh, Architects version of the Matrix. So he says they've got 99.9% retention rate, which means that like, what was it, like 1% in the Architects Matrix would be like, nah, I don't like this. I want to leave the Matrix. Now it's down even further from mm-hmm. there. So the the youth uh, bugs and uh, Morpheus want to continue freeing people from the matrix but it's just not easy anymore like it's just genuinely difficult to find anyone who's willing and ready to like have their mind opened especially i imagine from the outside like they are because the matrix has commodified the concept of the matrix it's made it into a product yeah, it's like trying to get people to agree on facts online now. It's like you can show people like, well, look, this thing isn't real. And be like, nah, it's that's fake news. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. Well, that's that's just it. It's weaponized on reality. It is the the fact that you can get people more engaged by making them the main character of their own story and and showing all these other kinds of elements. It's all the same game design techniques we use for making alternate reality games. Mm. It and it's just put into real life. Cause what you're talking about, what what you're what you're really talking about at this point is de-radicalization. Mm. And it is so hard to de-radicalize people who are not like who are who are so deep into the story, so deep into the game, that uh, they they just, it just can't let them go, and they don't want to be free from it because then they're not the main character anymore. But for for people for whom the story, that game, the society doesn't like, they don't fit into that narrative in the same way. It's that's that 
0.1%. That's bugs seeing uh, Neo's RSI through his DSI. Um, and that's Lex finding out about Trinity and like uh, essentially red pilling herself, question mark, to, to get out of it by wanting to be this person and wanting to escape. Uh, almost one of the problems with commodifying the Matrix is because it has a queer metaphor in it, there's still going to be a group of people that even though they, it has been this co-option of, of this like narrative, it made trivial, it, it, Bugs even says it at one point, that they, they took things that were um, like really important to us, to people like me, uh, but made it trivial so that everybody kind of uh goes along with it like it, it's there's there's like a lot fidget spinners on. being a thing for everyone and being a craze that's everywhere fidget spinners and fidget cubes have their basis in stimming which is something that folks with say adhd who get sidetracked or distracted can focus if they can work their fingers on a little puzzle it allows them to stay in the moment rather than their mind drifting it's a really neat little invention and then suddenly everyone wanted one, even if they absolutely didn't need them, just to fidget with, which left those that did need them, for medical reasons, unable to use them if they're kids because there's a class-wide ban. This is more a model for how greed and commerce turns everything that could help us grow into something with dollar signs on it, rather than the Matrix repackaging itself as entertainment so that nobody can focus on their dependence on the metaphorical system. The, the Matrix is no longer a secret thing you can only find by digging around the corners of the dark web. Yeah. It's on billboards. It's triple I. Yeah, it, it just, it, it, it's not that it's less powerful. Oh my god, powerful Matrix microtransactions. In, it's not that the story itself is less powerful, it's that people won't approach it the same way because it's so mass-marketed. If you open this loot box, you might get a card, a randomized card, that will give you guns, lots of guns. Alex, the original Matrix was Dwarf Fortress. It's a simulation that you set up and you watch it go. The new Matrix is Fortnite, with all the microtransactions mm -hmm. and all the cross- Oh, the look of exhaustion on his face right oh, now. Yep, yep. <laughs> Okay. And you might be happy to know that they totally had a Matrix 4 crossover with Fortnite in a small oh. way. Oh, good. No. Good, good. Happy is doing a lot of lifting in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I hope my sarcasm is doing a lot of lifting. <laughs> Speaking of happy, uh, the ending of uh, Matrix 3, Revolutions, really meant a lot to Sharon, as you'll have heard on our uh, Matrix Revolutions show. Uh, but we held back on talking about how it then follows on for this fourth film until now. How did you feel that, effectively, we got the synthesis ending, and now Bugs and company are like, Yeah, you old bastards, all you care about is your goddamn strawberries that you made with Skynet over there. To me, it was a smidgen deflating. I was like, I, I, this is what we're moving towards, but now we're beyond that. Yeah, but the I think it still holds the, the weight for me because the concept of freeing people, humans, from the Matrix and that becoming expanded into if machines want to escape from the Matrix as well, mm. then they now have a pathway to be able to do so. Uh, exemplified by Ramakandra and his family yes. in uh, the uh, third film. Indeed. And 
then it becomes not just about we're freeing people from the system so that they can make legitimate and meaningful choices for themselves, mm. but that these beings that we didn't think could make any choices because they were programmed and because they all had these set routines that they were performing and they couldn't break out of them, their making meaningful choices is in some ways even more significant. Mm. And there's elements of this in revolutions that I had almost completely forgotten about. And, and it sort of cemented those pieces together for me in a way that I, I it had felt when we saw four the other day, like something of a jump. Mm -hmm. But recalling things like Smith coming back through and having to steal a body effectively mm -hmm. in order to do so. From Bane, who was born evil looking. Well, so it would appear. <laughs> but but that the humans would then create digital, changeable, electronic bodies mm. that the machines could use so that they didn't have to steal anything is a way of reaching across the bridge from both directions. God. Like, the the whole, like, moving from tasty wheat to strawberries uh, makes me think that of, of a line from uh, the uh, 2021 Candyman, where it's like, if you stick it out in this gentrified uh, ghetto for a couple of years, we'll bring in a Whole Foods. <laughs> uh, it, it's moving, uh, going from revolutions to resurrections, that ending, it is, on paper, mm -hmm. absolutely mind-bogglingly a bad idea to just be like, yeah, we brought our protagonist back to life with space magic. <laughs> but, but... <laughs> When I'm watching the movie, it is basically they brought him back with space magic because we don't get an explanation of the technology. Mm -hmm. But it the way it's presented opens up so many other questions mm -hmm. that fill in so much uh, texture to the world that it doesn't bother me that they were just brought back with space magic. Because what happens is, is like the analyst says, yeah, my predecessor made a deal with you. And like I picked up your bodies and was like yeah i can do some really cool uh stuff with this and it introduces this idea of factionalism within the machines like before we had programs who just kind of you know if they didn't have a job anymore maybe they want to hide out in the matrix but now we've actually got like the machines are not a united front there's different groups and this analyst had a pet project that just happened to actually bump him into a position of power when it worked out. first saw the movie I, I thought oh man I miss Don Davis he scored the original three and was the sound of the Matrix and this is Tom Tikva director of Run Lola Run which is really good co-director of Cloud Atlas along with both Wachowskis and he did the music for Sense8 so and again this was a very personal project they brought in someone who they knew and trusted and knew what he was doing with Lana's work in their world and editing this show together, this score is growing on me. It sounds like observing something incalculably enormous emerging beneath you. 
the, all the Matrix sequels have a subtext about cycles and the challenges in breaking them. How does film four tackle that particular aspect, that recurring theme of the series? The uh, Okay, so in terms of cycles, this movie is in many ways the beats of the original trilogy all crammed into one movie not equally spaced i would say uh the entire opening 30 minutes with uh neo still in the matrix mm. that a lot of people who even weren't hot on the movie have said was actually really good and engaging mm -hmm. that's like Maybe the first 10, 15 minutes of Matrix 1, but stretched out for like yeah. like twice as long. It's unevenly then, uh, distributed. Yeah, and then we kind of rush through Matrix 2, and then Matrix 3 happens, and then like right at the end, a new story it can be told is the idea. The film posits in the in the first 30 minutes that the only way to break these repeating loops is to find the people that we share common cause with and, and help each other out of them so that we can, instead of just repeating these these processes over and over again, use our experiences from these to to build something different. Um, I think that's that's probably like the and, you know, again, like Lana Wachowski spends an entire scene saying, fuck you for trying to tell me what my movie's about. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, the, the fact that that we have, you know, Neo as still established as the one and by by the end of the film, the cycle of the one is not just broken. It is completely transformed. Uh, I think sort of bears that out at least a little bit that that, yeah, you know, cycles are a part of of society that that we will find these ruts that we that we get stuck in and it's just our job to like help us out of this rut so we can you know find a new path just a further just a little bit further up the hill wear that down and then we'll keep going from there i think that's how it moves into this concept of connection as well because cycles the the hardest cycles to break are our own because we're so entrenched in them and we're so close to them that most of the time we don't even see them and even when we do we're so invested in them that it can be difficult to see the exit points but somebody else who cares about you and who you trust can sometimes see your cycles and see the way that you can get out of them better than you can and if that connection is one that goes both ways, then you get to help them with their cycles. And that's that's uh, right at the beginning. That's essentially what is being said when Morpheus, Morpheus Smith, Morpheus Two, uh, <laughs> is. Is, yeah, is released because uh, Neo created that modal, which was itself an infinite loop of the elements of the game, at least at the beginning, quote unquote, at the beginning of The Matrix, because he had a chunk of Morpheus's RSI that he combined with Smith's and to, to make this this person, he kind of didn't know what he was doing, but he, he needed something to evolve out of it. But Morpheus couldn't do it without bugs and seek intervening and and that ended up being like morpheus did learn did get elements but couldn't break that cycle without outside help rsi in this case is residual self-image not repetitive strain injury i think to go back to your your previous comment the the problem with the the olds the boomers that are running io 
um, is that they have essentially carved out a safe place. They have made a little walled garden and they want to just keep that. They want to protect what they have because they're tired of fighting while the younger, uh, somehow, somehow queerer uh, generation wants to go and help other people break out of their cycles. element of the name of the city as well is it just me or is that io coming out of zion but they've to get that they've made it smaller they've cut bits off it and if they're not careful they're going to end up living on the dot on the eye okay they got rid of z one of my favorite characters from the matrix revolutions and they got rid of n who we never even met io is both input output which is a computer thing and the machine city that neo and trinity go to in the end of three is zero one Uh, and so i think it is a reference to all of these things uh by the way it is the analyst who after he takes control of the matrix sends a bunch of sentinels to go and destroy what was left of zion uh but enough of the people had moved on to io to make a an actual synthesis and the people who were hardcore still in the us versus them mentality were wiped out by the 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 neo fashion uh, the the sentinels that the uh that the analyst sent io could also be um the moon io which is a a moon of jupiter which i'm assuming is some goddess in the roman or greek pantheon which i normally wouldn't bring up but the matrix films are absolutely nerdy enough to name everything after some sort of mythological figure very true io was a lover of zeus who got turned into a cow in order to hide her from hera so quick daisy down the stairs my wife's coming so so just an average Tuesday for Zeus then. Yes. If only um, you'd made me capable of getting downstairs. Now you're stuck with one, a cow in the bedroom. One, one quick observation on Io. The entrance to Io is guarded by um, holograms. And those holograms are very, very bright gold, which is a very striking color that previously had only been used for Neo's um, version machine. Of when, no, his machine site in the real world. It's like the green site, hmm. but it's in the real world. Yeah, but where, uh, when he sees Smith, when he is blinded, the blind messiah. Yeah, he's, yeah. he sees the machines hmm. where, or he sees the machines' souls, I suppose, hmm. rather than their surface. Yeah. Yeah. So the gold, um, the gold uh, holograms could also just be the machines using their own energy to protect. Like, I I think that might be one of the many things that was Mm. given to them by uh, the machines rather than specifically something they built themselves. I do like that they retained that from the the end of the third movie, that that it wasn't just... See, when I was a younger man and I I saw the original Matrix and I was an angry young man, I was like, yes, smash the system! And then I saw the... (laughs) Uh, the the sequels several years later and they dissatisfied me greatly and in recent years as you've uh, heard listening to our the past couple of shows while the films themselves haven't gotten better the philosophies within them have gotten more resonant with my own or or my own have become more resonant with them but yeah the original version of me was like what do you mean you're gonna do a handshake with the machines they have no concept of 
oral contract. They're going to break it whenever the moment occurs that, you know, this is no longer advantageous to us. And I'm glad that that version of me was proven wrong insofar as they can still trust the machines who are working with them, even though other machines then uh, did, in fact, break protocols and decide to wage a civil war. Um, I love that they call them synthients, too, to mm. to separate them from the quote-unquote machines. And uh, it's just, it's a nice touch yeah uh, well and it's 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 basically the machine's own personal pronoun basically mm. i mean yeah nice. i i, I sebebe octocles and luminate are like my favorite members of the thing i love how the nemesine itself actually uh represents that synthesis because it is a lot of the hover vehicle technology that we've seen from the humans but the back of it is this very uh synthian looking like tail as it's swimming through the air, like the 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 ship itself is uh, a representative of that synthesis. And then, since we mentioned Greek mythology, Nemesine is the Titan goddess of memory who created the nine muses. And I think it's significant that there are nine members of the crew before Morpheus and Neo and Trinity join them. Do you see providence there? The fact that the Nemesine is the the ship that gives Neo his memories back, as well as being a memory of the alliance between machine and humans at the end of the Siege of Zion, is is one of those like Lana Wachowski. You're not subtle, but damn, you're really good at this sort of thing. <laughs> um, can I just double check the name for these beings? Is it synthient, as in synthetic sentience? Yes, that is that is the the, the portmanteau. Okay. Uh, so, and then technically, um, Morpheus is a digital intelligence or a DI uh, specifically. One aspect that Bob Chipman voiced, which matches something that I said to Sharon as we came out, uh, which was, wow, they really made that for 40-year-olds, is Generation X and early millennials didn't change the world as we would have liked to, and now we're just really tired. And this specifically, I feel like, is almost most exemplified in Trinity of, uh, of anyone in this film. Wow, I would have said it was uh, a Neo. Well, um, it feels like Trinity lacks the drive to change because she's so invested in her life and she's tired. That was just me, though, because obviously Neo is really close, but I just I really felt it from, Trin uh, from Trinity. It felt like Neo was at least active in something that he, uh, to a degree, feels passionate for, or at least remembers passion in his past, whereas Trinity feels... At odds with her new life. One of the things that I think really Trinity, uh, Carrie Ann Moss specifically with her performance as Trinity drives home is like how she's unsure of what parts of her life were actually a choice because mm. she talks about do I really want this or have I just been conditioned to want this? Mm. And so that's that's part of the, the, the rut that she's stuck in is she's she's not sure what what choices she have and what effects her choices have. And in fact, it's only when she sees the effects of her choice by Neo, like 
you know, he's one one of my favorite parts of this is that Neo lets her choice sit and lets it go poorly for him. him. And that's when she sees, oh, wait a minute. No, I do have agency. This is someone who is not just trying to coerce me into making decisions. This is someone who will respect my decisions. And that's when she realizes, oh, wait, and and basically starts to break free. And I think with Neo, it's specifically like he's just he's so tired of of fighting against, you know, he's he's been fighting against the uh, the the blue pills for 60 years. And he's just so tired of expending any sort of energy that it's just exhausting to him. That that's kind of why I think Neo is the more tired one than Trinity. Uh, he is just so he is so tired. Uh, Keanu Reeves is acting so well in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and bear in I, mind, it, I'm it, not trying to express who's the more tired, Trinity or Neo. They're both tired as fuck. But we've talked about Neo a lot already, which gives us an opportunity to talk about Trinity. Oh well, both I of them together equal Generation X and millennials. Please carry on. I mean, okay, well, in, in that context... Specifically, Gen X and early millennials, the ones who saw The Matrix in theatres, or at least on DVD for the first time, and the ones who were there at its inception, and then many, many, many years went by, and in Bob's words, oh, hey, we won with Barack Obama, we're moving forwards, what the fuck? You voted for this guy? Why? Why is the holding pattern for the U.S. president senile old man? The um, the coffee shop scene, uh, the second one specifically, where uh, Neo and Trinity sit down to have a conversation with each other is, oh, that is, hmm. there are so many feelings in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Neo expresses that, like, he definitely does enjoy making video games, but it's, you know, it's a job. And uh, maybe maybe he shouldn't have uh, been so quite autobiographical with his main character. And Trinity talks about uh, making motorcycles, which um, that's kind of, a, I want to say, more of a fanficy bolted on character aspect of her. Like in the in she uses a motorcycle quite a bit in Matrix 2. Mm-hmm. But it's not like she ever expressed interest in motorcycles. It just she looked really cool riding them. So now it is an actual interest of hers. Um, I'm totally fine with that being bolted on because Carrie Ann Moss uh, working on motorcycles in a tank top is so hot. (laughs) (laughs) In the words of Tim Rogers, I'd let her kill me. (laughs) (laughs) But that coffee shop scene uh, has a... Just one moment where um, there's mirrors all over this movie and uh, we see Keanu Reeves's digital self image reflected back at him wrong a bunch of times. But Mm -hmm. that coffee shop scene is the only time we see Trinity's digital self image, what everyone else aside from her and Neo see reflected. And uh, that is... Yeah, no, that I didn't. I mean, you can't get a good look at the face because it's just sort of in the tabletop, but it is very much just sort of a general mom face. And she's blonde. It, yeah. It's, it's a really relevant part of that conversation that they not only can see their own residual self image, but each other's mm-hmm. and are surprised by the the changes in the reflections and things for their, their digital self image. And to the point where Trinity says that she asked handsome Chad 
the the <laughs> Chad Stahelski, director of John Wick, and the uh, stunt double for uh, Keanu Reeves in the first Matrix. Ah, yes. Um, the 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 budget Neo, if you will. These are not them. You've married his stunt double. She asks, like, don't I look like her? Doesn't she look like me whenever she's talking about the video game Trinity? Mm. And he just laughs at her because he's seeing her digital self-image, who is yeah. blonde, who doesn't look anything like Carrie Ann Moss. And, ah, it's such a good moment. <laughs> that entire scene also has a bunch of background extras repeating through the windows as, like, the people who are walking back and forth around the coffee shop. It's like the same five people. Mm. Nice. I thought so. I, I mm, when I was watching it yesterday, I was like, I think I saw that person already, which really reinforces oh, the fact that so that so many no, that's a cat. Uh, that so many of the people are walk that, that are walking around are bots. That they are they are put there to like fulfill this narrative mm. that's part of that weaponized on reality. It's just th- so good. I think specifically they called the cat deja vu so that if Neo ever thought, oh, deja vu, then the analyst could say, yes, my cat is called deja vu so that they could directly join it via mnemonic to a thing that actually happened to him that uh, wherein they changed something. Those, those, that, that, oh, the therapy scenes and such are so unbelievably good for showing how they've essentially I, I don't want to use the term gaslit, but really the making Neo try to like come up with a different explanation for why everything is the place to the point where we actually see Neo doing like grounding exercises uh, at the end of the um, the shootout in the in the office before it transitions to him being in the analyst mm. uh, thing. Like it 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 was. It was a weird moment that made me be like, I feel like that's something from a Scientologist film where like the the therapist and psychiatry is the problem. Um, But at the same time, it was just really appropriate given the circumstances of like trying to reconcile one's reality. That also feels like something clearly from their experience of like someone who's got just enough like pop psychology to weaponize it against you. Uh, the, the, the Jim Peterson sort of, you know, trying to trying to use just enough gobbledygook to get people to believe clearly stupid shit. And the, the fact that there's just enough actual exercises mixed in with what the analyst is doing is it, it feels so sinister. Mm. But also, and again, not to put like, you know, not to assume experiences, but you know, you you've got to figure that Lana Wachowski has had some pretty shitty therapists. Oh yeah, Scientology does that as well. It uh, it it performs all kinds of uh, strange psychological reconditioning upon you, and then says, whatever the hell you do, do not see a psychologist or a therapist of any kind. They will try to deprogram you. Ever mentioned boomers before? Uh, I'm just crystallizing this series in my head as this not so much a love letter, but a, 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 a hand laid upon Generation X's fist with we get it. Most specifically with this fourth film because of that lack of change because it feels like the matrix was a game changer a world changer it should have woken all these people up and over time people have become more sharply aware 
of the control that we're under and railing against it just has made us tired, even at a young age. But the boomers who bought into that system, and again, if you're a boomer listening, well done, thank you, hashtag not all boomers, but the boomers in general bought into that system and it worked for them. They bought the property, they played the game, they played by all the rules and it worked. And then their children were Generation X who always sat uneasily with that. We were told we were special until we failed. And then the world was full of nothing but disapproval for our slacker fucking attitudes. And we didn't change the world. And now we're looking at the kids with the blue hair running around the place like bugs and they're full of energy and they, they've got such... Either they're, they're Zoomers or Doomers and they're either devoting themselves to we can actually do this shit even though I'm depressed as fuck. Let's tell some dark jokes that don't hurt anybody but ourselves. Ha <laughs> ha fake laughs, hiding real tears. Or the whole world's coming to an end and I'm gonna drag everyone down into this pit that I'm in right now because then I'll feel less lonely. Meanwhile, millennial bros are like, oh shit, capitalism didn't work. Do you know what will work? A brand new imaginary capitalism that we make up ourselves called cryptocurrency in the metaverse. Was that capitalism only existed because we believed it existed? That's not what this is. I'm in on the ground floor. We're gonna be gods of the new age. There'll be money for all, but mostly me. I just have to recruit three friends. That's phase one. Phase three is profit. So we're watching them and it's exhausting having to reconcile with that energy, but we wonder where we're going. And that's why I feel like this fourth film very deliberately delivers us Ray and Finn of The Force Awakens and says, yes, it's generational, we're passing the torch. No, we're not, move them aside, we're gonna focus on these two Gen Xs. And it's suddenly all about Neo and Trinity. And that, again, I sat uneasily with, because I'm actually much more invested in what Generation Z are capable of, because frankly, they've got the energy while we're all fucking knackered. <laughs> Uh, and also, we've been catered to again and again and again, and they know that we respond extremely well to nostalgia. Emphatically. There have been repeated instances of weaponized nostalgia from your favorite, Victoria, Ready Player One, and Space Jam, and... <laughs> My um, favorite! How dare you! <laughs> I tease, I kid. But, I mean, I I, know, I it's know. undeniable that, uh, that, that we hoover up every fucking easter egg in Star Wars because we had these fucking action figures and uh, you know we, we read the books we read the comics and, and all of the uh, you know the, the, like the, the whole MCU response since 2008 a whole new troupe of, of people able to not like that we got off the message boards and we got onto the commentary and we became the voices on YouTube, we became the podcasters, and everyone who hadn't read Marvel comics was like, I don't know who Moon Knight is, and I'm pissed off that people keep talking about Marvel, while the nerds who had specifically studied that their entire lives were like, finally, this is going to come My in useful. <laughs> and the world has changed so much since the original Matrix came out, because back in the day, Neo was a nerd. Now he's everyone. If you want to look at this from this intergenerational perspective, like you're like you're talking about, I do. For I most could. Things. I know. I know. I, the intergeneration wars. Uh, but if I could make a reading <laughs> where 
Uh, Neo and Trinity, if you want to have them represent Generation X, have been essentially lulled into that complacency by the system. They might be uneasy about it. Your comments before about like how or, how did we get to this place, mm. and you you could then read that the people that their younger selves inspired to a certain extent are trying to then go and re-engage, re-wake up the Generation X to join with mm. the the younger generation's efforts in changing the system. Which would and be that, absolutely a far better use of our time and scant energy that we have left rather than saying, why don't you, what, rather than treating Gen Z the way the millennials have been treated by boomers. Yeah. And, and then that way, because Gen X still has more, if you want to go all the way into the the generational metaphor, Gen X has more wealth and more power than us millennials or Zoomers uh, really combined, if you look at it. And it is really necessary for the energy of the younger generations to be joined by this generation kind of on the edge between the older generation that caused the problems and the younger generations that want to find solutions Mm -hmm. Um, because it is in fact the Gen Xers that didn't fuck around and don't really have to find out. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost asking to pick a side if you want to look at it that way. I think you can make another argument that the reason that they had to bring Neo and Trinity back is just because of a lot of the like cruft in the lore and such. Oh, you mean our weaponized nostalgia? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that, and just the, all that stuff I talked about from the Matrix Online. Mm. The the other thing I think that bringing Neo and Trinity back as a focal point allows them to do is to sort of look at the the way that legacy sequels and and reboot slash sequels have worked, and specifically go against the grain of that because they are delivering. You know, it, it's sort of like the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi from the perspective of Luke, mm. but you you also still get to do the the whole like no we we really did make meaningful changes maybe not in totally disrupting the status quo for forever but we gave people enough time to have certain people sort of like regain things they thought they had lost but also to have a new generation come in and be inspired by us the the thing that i think this this movie accomplishes that you know you they don't necessarily try and do in the force awakens except but they sort of do in the last Jedi is, is having the characters come in and like reinvigorate the 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 older heroes and and have that be a a, a productive cycle of inspiring the new generation and then having the new generation re-energize the people who were who were you know the ones inspiring them and that even feeds back to niobe because one of the things i think that it's important to sort of like remember is that neo is is basically six months out of the matrix at the end of matrix revolutions that that entire trilogy takes place over a fairly short span of time and we know that he's an older mind meaning that basically all of his peers have been freed for months, if not years before him. So what Resurrections does is it is it creates that sort of like divide between him and Niobe of him being slightly new to this and her being old and jaded and not believing in the one and making that a, a very clearly defined generational gap. So you have these three generations of, of freedom fighters having to basically mash their ideas together until they figure out how the puzzle pieces interlock. 
It's also um, from a more nuts and bolts uh, movie making standpoint. Lana Wachowski is older. She is Gen X. Mm-hmm. And I think she wanted specifically to return to the series to revisit the characters of Neo and Trinity. She obviously put a lot of work into making new and exciting characters, uh, bugs and uh, Smithius, if that's what we're going to go with. And all the sentient robots on the ship are just instantly electric characters that I want to know so much more about. Mm. But so the story's I. not about I was like, oh my God, we're not actually following them. It was amazing. The, yeah, the story's not about them, but on a sort of a production level, I think that might actually work in the movie's favor because I think at this point we can accept that this is the only actual movie sequel we're going to get out of The Matrix. At this stage, um, yeah. Considering yeah, it, it how didn't... terribly it's done. And honestly, originally I was uh, angry that HBO had seemingly insisted on this day and date release, which when it turned out Spider-Man was going to be one week beforehand. I was like, you got to change this. We've had years, two years now of uh, movie studios going, we're going to push this back a little bit further. We're going to wait for a bit. We're going to delay. And why would you not delay on this? But now then when I went to see the film, I was like, oh, this could never have been a massive, massive hit that everyone kept going back for. It it almost seems to purposefully aggravate people who might have been going in for... Specifically with the action, like I said, if you went in hoping for Yen Wu Ping or something even vaguely like that, you got the opposite of that. Instead of style, you got brutality. Instead of framing, you got a rock tumbler. Instead of focused, precise coordination, you got chaos. And instead of empowerment, you got anxiety. It's not a crowd pleaser. And it ends in, it, it's much more meditative than that. It could almost, it would almost have had a better home on Netflix. You know, it's a huge event. So I'm glad it got to the cinema. Debuting at the same day on HBO Max at least meant that people could see it safely. But it might also have been technically a better home for it than going to the cinema and expecting to see something of the same persuasion of the same not even the same caliber but just something of the same flavor where everything is all green like you remember it and now the the fact that it's in the sunny matrix like when they went out of their way in the posters to go if you're expecting the green and the monotone and the binary you're not going to get that this is a much more colorful soft warm world and all of the advertising for it suggested contemplation over dazzling conflict i i love that alice song they used in the trailer but yeah it's um it's not it's not a huge money maker and even if it had made a lot of money i don't think we're really in a situation where lana or lily would have wanted to come back for a fifth movie lily didn't want to be in this and lana had pretty uh unique circumstances that drove her to have an emotional need to make another one wasn't uh, lana's parent well lana and lily's parents both died and various friends of lana's that left her grieving and seeking some kind of catharsis yes so um i don't think we're actually uh poorer for not uh focusing on those new characters 
because we get a focused story about the characters that were clearly really important to the writer. Yeah. We have these new characters that I'm really interested in, and I think that gives HBO Max an angle mm. to sort of rebirth the Animatrix mm. and sort of like use these new ideas because the movie is chock full of new ideas to create smaller stories that don't need the Wachowskis to be deeply involved with mm. them. And you can just release them sort of piecemeal on HBO Max, which is a much better home for that than, frankly, the Animatrix being released on DVD. There's even the recent precedent of the anime Star Wars series on Disney+. Plus. I know a lot of people really liked it. I think there were even tie-in graphic novels that came out because I know my fiance got one and was really into it. Uh, And I I would definitely tune into the reanimatrix. Nice. Um, But it made perfect sense that if this is a very intimate and personal story and it makes perfect sense that uh, Lana would tell that through the lens of these knackered Generation Xs rather than trying to, I suppose, simulate and harness the energy of Gen Z. Uh, when that's not something they're in 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 definite proximity to, it's that's not necessarily the tale she wanted to tell. So yeah, I, I get it. Again, it's 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 just something that surprised me. Um, I honestly think Lana could have made a good shot at focusing on the Gen Z characters. Like she strikes me as a very energetic, plugged in person. Like you know, she's telling Ivanka Trump to fuck off on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that was Lily, but but yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> This encompasses Gen Z and early millennials as well. Gen Z are still pretty young. Uh, but uh, we watched the first uh, episode of uh, Sense8 uh, just before we started, and uh, yeah, that that definitely had a flavours of this, but also does indicate that they could get a whole range of different younger characters in there. So it would have been a possibility, but yeah, you're right. The unique, singular scenario of being able to tell a story about these characters that actually meant something very significant, clearly, to Lana was uh, there to be taken. And from the sounds of it, Warner Brothers were going to, and there is a line in the movie that kind of references, well, that directly references this, they were going to do more Matrix with or without the Wachowskis. And the there was a plan to get Michael B. Jordan uh, in on it, which would have been great, but, uh, you know, plenty of room for that in the future, feasibly. If the, for some reason Warner Brothers see dollar signs on this thing, I'm not sure that it's as much of a money spinner as it was in 2003, because it clearly was then. And there's an irony and a fine, fine line that you have to walk with the Matrix, wherein you keep the money men salivating with dollar signs in their eyes at what they think they can sell to the kids, whilst also getting what you need to say, said, and expressed artistically in the fairly blatant way that the Matrix wears its symbolism upon its sleeve. It's weirdly right and proper that such an anti-capitalist blockbuster should fail. One huge aspect that we've all been waiting on for Lana to tackle for many, many years now has been trans parallels delivered to an audience that might now expect, understand, and be looking for them. So what did you folks find? Um, I appreciated that there wasn't an attempt to force a very uh, literal trans metaphor like there was no attempt to turn the metaphor from the matrix trilogy into literal um 
because they didn't they, they had to make it a metaphor in the original matrix they, they've said themselves corporate america just wasn't ready mm-hmm. and um it I, they definitely could have just made it very literal uh, in several ways, but I think that would have distracted from the love story. So I appreciated that it didn't try to advance the metaphor into physical reality. Mm-hmm. But? <laughs> Is there a but? But, but? There's not really a but. Damn, I, I, I definitely... I, no, no, I... I was crying trans girl tears at many moments of this movie mm. that just very strongly emotionally resonated with me, but they resonated with me specifically because I am trans. I know this was made by a trans woman as a trans metaphor. So like those emotions that I felt probably aren't uh, universal. <laughs> I, I I have a real big one that I want to get into, but there's a there's a smaller moment that mm. I think is really resonant to me. Okay. The I if if you read um, Neo and Trinity as queer characters as, as like trans les- T for T lesbians, if you, if you will, um, which is also the only way the first Matrix actually passes the Bechdel test. The uh, the idea that they would connect by seeing each other's true selves through the mask that they have to put on because of society in a cafe feels real personally relevant to me. Mm. Uh, the Also, I would totally drink it, Simulate. That's a great name for a cafe. <laughs> but um, it's just the idea of two people sitting down across from each other, and it's really the pivotal moment of the entire movie, the whole every bit of it because that is when neo makes a decision for himself to do something because he has stopped taking the blue pills at that point and he becomes convincible by bugs when they show up later while trinity seeing neo having uh, like looking into the game and things they have that conversation that is the start of her realizing more about her life and everything and what she really wants and who she really is. Um, So the fact that really everything pivots on a single quiet scene between two queer lesbians, like like T for T lesbians in a cafe speaking to each other and speaking to each other, like to the actual other person rather than the simulacra simulacra that they have to put on as part of society mm. feels very trans. Like that that scene is as obvious as it gets, I think, in this movie. There's there's also a shift in um uh, gaze, I'd say. Um the the first matrix, uh Neo is the blank slate self-insert character. Um Johnny Template. Yeah, he's he's Johnny Template, but he's Johnny Template that has been layered with a bunch of elements that have been, through further uh, study, realized were, you know, closeted or maybe not quite so closeted trans metaphors. And then he's got Trinity, who is masculine, but in a feminine way. Oh, God, the language on this is so... The point is, <laughs> Trinity, Neo works as a self-insert for closeted trans girls as much as, like... Uh, I don't know, red pill, shitty white guys. Uh, but Trinity is very much the hot girl 
a trans person wants to be in that original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like, she's very cool. She's a little bit masculine, but still undeniably feminine. She kicks a lot more ass than you normally get from a female character in action movies at those time periods. But she's still very much sort of uh, secondary in terms of plot significance to Neo. Whereas in this movie, she is so important. She is absolutely central to the plot. Uh, There's a lot more uh, moments of personal reflection on who she is as a person instead of just as an element of um, Neo. Uh, He explicitly is much more respectful of her wishes. Um, Not that he was disrespectful in the original trilogy, it's just it never really came up because they were the breeding pair. Of course they're together. (laughs) And yeah, um, and so that was part of what Uh, some of Trinity's scenes made me cry so much about is like, I could sense that she is now the self insert for uh, trans people. Mm. Like, yeah, sure. I can self insert into Neo, but I don't want to, I (laughs) want to be Trinity. She is so cool and hot. (laughs) There's also, and this is, this is like probably going to drift away into just talking about Trinity's character arc in general, but I, I, it doesn't seem, even I got, like kind of clued into the fact that the one who was literally always talked about as he, he, him, like there was always a dude by the end of the movie. The one is not he, him. The one is they, them. Mm. Nice. (laughs) Victoria. Uh, I'm talking about Trinity. Trinity has always been shot by the camera for not the heterosexual man gaze, but for the, homosexual lady gays. Uh, there's a Ew, lot of emphasis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk about gays being shifted. I, I got shifted. Um, but they, even in the very first scene that you see her after she kicks the shit out of a whole bunch of cops, um, the, we, the camera is focused on her back muscles and uh, the fact that she has this very like masculine aesthetic mm. That is ridiculous. Even at the time, there was a whole conversation from uh, some of the, you know, uh, let's call them gamer Americans who uh, found Trinity to be uh, a quote unquote, a bitch, like someone too that masculine was to be, because she wasn't this like pretty lady that they could lust after. Mm. But all of the queer women and a, and a lot of the closeted, not quite yet understanding who they were, trans women were like, what are you talking about? She's so hot. Um, and to the point where, you know, I, I watched that movie when it came out and I had inklings, but I didn't have the language for who and what I was, but it resonated with me in a way that I didn't really understand until years later, going back and revisiting it and just being like, oh my gosh, like the, the trans narrative isn't even like subtle. Uh, it's, it's, you don't have to really like bend over backwards for it. Mm. So, uh, but leading off of that, actually, I was thinking about this. The first movie can really be seen as a transition story it is it is neo coming to terms with you know starts out closeted coming to terms with that like the world is wrong the splinter in your mind we could talk about the whole uh subway scene being the the affirmation of neo like understanding who 
he is who they are. Pronouns are complicated. And um, becoming stronger from that. And, you know, Trinity is the one who sort of like saves him in that last moment by being like, no, you stupid girl, be a girl and kick his ass. And Neo gets up and does that. Um, This film, looking at it in a similar kind of narrative, is almost more of a detransitioners story because uh, a big thing uh, if for, for anybody in the future uh, or I don't know, aliens who find this podcast after humanity is destroyed uh, around the 2020s uh, there, it has become a very hostile place in America and a lot of other countries for trans people. And, one of the narratives that comes out as part of that is detransitioners, this rate of people who transition and then ter- transition back into their gender assigned at birth. And uh, this is used in a lot of gatekeeping and medical spaces being like, well, not everybody. We got to make sure only the right people get trans. It's a it's a problem because almost 100% of people who detransition detransition because of outside influences. It is because it is not safe. It is because of conversion therapy, AKA torture from the individuals around them. And a huge number of them, once they get into a safer place, transition again. Mm. So like this concept of, and, and going from the first movie to this one, because I really feel like they, to use the George Lucas term rhyme more than two or three do the um, Neo in this is a very jaded, very tired detransitioned recloseted version of himself. Mm. And in a lot of ways, I, I read it that back to being Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson, the, the metaphor here almost is that Neo and Trinity are really the same person that in, in this movie, Neo is the closeted boy, like not really sure what to do with his life, but is fascinated by this woman who is both hot and hashtag goals. So uh, you have Trinity where the whole element of the movie is that Trinity needs to wake up and she, the the entity, the person that we're talking about here, if you think of Neo and Trinity being the same person, uh, that it is up, it is not up to him, the closeted like simulacra of a man, it is up to her, the actualized feminine self to make the decision to, to fight to be who she needs to be. And in so doing, becomes internet Jesus. I mean, it it breaks down a little bit at the end, but it it still works. I mean, it it does also show the the effects that the trans people can fly. I don't know if I mentioned that before. (laughs) I got a jetpack with my estrogen pills. (laughs) Hell yes. It is a densely packed series in terms of uh, transition because of the nature of two worlds being there. The 
computer world and the uh, human world. With hints of all kinds of unexplored places in between. Machines and the code and the, the, the uh, like more f uh, smithiest in this went from, uh, effectively, when you move from one world to the other and make the this other world your home, very specifically if that is your choice, and especially if you're breaking protocol, that that is a, a fairly blunt transition parallel, uh, which it all, almost always seems to be a positive for, for most people. I think the only person who transitioned from one world to the other and really didn't like it was the original Agent Smith in Bane's body. He was just cutting on himself and just going, you can't even think in this stupid thing. Your brain's a bunch of snot. Well, that, but that... Because he didn't, didn't want to that. be human. He was only doing he it so that he could uh, sneak up on Neo and uh, looking as evil as he does, kill him. That's ex that's exactly it. He didn't want to be it. Like, it, it was... In, in that case, it was essentially, like, I don't know, species dysphoria, yeah. if you will, that was causing him to cut himself, which is still, like, relevant to the, to the metaphor. Mm. Yeah. There's also a bajillion little queer moments scattered throughout this movie. Oh um, the little modal that Smithius sort of finds himself trapped in is by uh, uh, Neo referred to as an experiment. He literally made a tiny little safe place for himself <laughs> to explore his feelings about the Matrix. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, what was the other one? I had a really uh, specific one. Oh, uh, Smithius is flamboyant as all hell once he's uh, oh, uh, free of the modal. Mm. Like, that, that's why he really does feel like a mix of Smith and Morpheus. Like, Morpheus was a showman, but he wasn't flamboyant. Uh, towards the end of Resur uh, Revolution, mm. Smith was pretty flamboyant, and Smithius <laughs> is definitely recently out of the closet <laughs> and doing all the fun stuff he couldn't do before. A new man. Hell yeah. Mm. Smith has, a, he, Smith is a drama queen. And when you take some of that, you give it to Morpheus with the drive and the, the, the belief and, and everything. It's a wonderful combination. Mm. Actually, we, we haven't talked about the newly cast, newly new version of Smith, the uh, guy who played uh, King George. <laughs> but from the sounds of it, quite popular. Do you want to go into that? And ha I like how they make this Smith quite different from Hugo Weaving's version. Well, um, they should fuck. The tension between those two has has always existed but mm -hmm. but one of the things that recasting Hugo Weaving allows them to do and it's, it's a bummer that you don't get to have him mm. doing some of his weavingness here but they did but, ask him to they, uh, uh, to come back but he was doing theater and he was like oh, I'm sorry but Pinter must come first they didn't ask Lawrence Fishburne does, to come back and, that's strange <laughs> yeah and and I think beholding themselves to continuity might be like a, a weird thing in yeah. in that thing but but i i do like getting to have morpheus be like this this specter of the past as well mm. and and yaya abdul mateen is, is great fun absolutely but, yeah but, he's in loads but the of fact stuff that, right now. yeah the, the fact that groff and and reeves play smith and neo as like jilted ex-lovers and they even have like a throw down in a men's bathroom mm. um you know not to not to get not to talk about trans stuff that it's not really my place to talk about, but that seems uh, loaded. Uh, <laughs> Reloaded, from, if you will. From, from someone who's bound to have had some, un, like, some, some 
unpleasant experiences in men's bathrooms. Um, but but the like the, the people I was watching this movie with were just straight up like, my ship is coming in because there's a lot of like Smith Neo slash in the, the decades since. And you, you can't not engage with a, a, an interest in oneself when you have already established that Neo and Smith are literally a, a binary of ones and zeros. Mm. To, to steal a joke from uh, Sarah, who is one of the people who made the YouTube video of Matrix sequels are good, actually, Agent Smith couldn't handle Neo inside of him the last two times. I don't know why he keeps trying. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I, I actually missed that graph was supposed to be Smith when we walk into the office and he does the line about people going about their business. And he's even got a, a statue of his punched face in the corner. I don't know how I missed that. <laughs> I didn't catch on that he was supposed to be Smith until uh, the the shootout at, and the, like, the sprinklers are going. And he just walks out of this door that is weirdly lit with red light for some reason. It's like he's walking out of hell and he sees a gun and is like, oh, yes, I'm a psycho murderer mm. and starts trying to kill Neo. I don't even think he particularly has any reason to want to kill Neo. It's just it's nostalgic at this point. He's like, oh, yeah, I was always trying to kill you. Isn't this fun? <laughs> I mean, if you want to look at it that way, Smith and Neo, like, they, they were clearly a couple, but then Neo realized that she's a girl and interested into girls, and so now Smith is jealous of Neo and Trinity, and they should just be a big polycule. I mean, come on. What is going on here? I um, don't th I don't think Smith would be good in a polycule. Yeah, Smith needs no, to my God, chill the, the fuck so out so there's before a that weird, happens. There's a weird deep cut with, with Smith in this movie that um, I was talking to my aforementioned friend, Astra, that there was a, a plot thread from The Matrix Online that didn't get resolved because the game ended. But there's, a, there's the implication, there is a theory that um, because it is Smith and Morpheus in New Morpheus, Smithius, as we, as we come to call him, that this Smith is also a, a hybridization, that there is Smith and the kid specifically combined together to make this new version, which oh, there's wow. like, yeah, it's, it is a deep cut, but it, it would work actually in a lot of ways because the way that Smith works in this movie, it, he has that, that drive, that mag, that like magnetic draw towards Neo, but but that hate is cut by something else. And the nature the, the, of his fixation has changed. Yeah, they are both obsessed yeah. with him. Yeah, and, and so it, it changes that, which is why we get the the Smith like saving the day moment uh, near the end. So good. Because he's finally, he is free to be himself. Uh, you, you could say to continue with that trans allegory that this is also an opportunity for Smith to find out who he is. He tried being a toxic asshole, forcing, uh, you know, he went through his Nazi phase in Matrix 1, 2, and 3, and Didn't now make he him happy. who he was, who he is. It really does. Everyone. Yeah, exactly. Hitler was There's not cavorting that's... from foot to foot going, 
I feel so good. Well, there's there's something that the the film does very uh, smartly with the the visualization of Groff Smith is that he is there, there's a lot of stuff that's that's blue in this to reinforce the like blue pill thing, and his suits are blue and blue, like mm. blue shirts, blue jackets, until that that final scene when he kind of like switches sides a little bit and you get like the the baby face turn and one of my favorite things is is enemies to allies and he is literally wearing blue and red plaid nice so he scoffed both pills at once something we've all wanted to do just to see the expression on morpheus's face yeah uh <laughs> what <laughs> well bug straight up says binaries are for douches <laughs> <laughs> Smith is in a weird place in terms of like character motivations. Like he's free of like he seeing the gunfight or whatever woke him up and he was free of the analyst control. Mm. And he doesn't want Neo to go back into his pod because I guess that gives the analyst enough spare energy to put him back under control. Mm. The mechanics of which are very hinky, but sure, whatever, I'll take this <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> Um, so he doesn't, he's quite willing to kill Neo if it means the analyst can't control him again, but he also is quite willing to just murder the analyst to stop, uh, like, he's not picky about how he is free. Hmm. He wants, he wants to prevent the analyst from resetting the Matrix, and the analyst fuses to reset it until... Neo and Trinity get back into their pods. So he, his idea at first is, well, I'll just kill Neo, and then the analyst won't have that opportunity. And then in the end, he's like, well, okay, I see how this can go to shit for the analyst even harder if I step in here and and help them out. Therefore, like this is all going going to chaos, and I get a chance to be myself as well. Um. Which is, I think, why the analyst is trying to get to deja vu in the end. I think deja vu is that that cat literally mm. is some part of that resetting. That, um, that is definitely the implication of the film that that's how yeah. he like resets days and changes things rapidly. Is why I, now why he would house that power inside of a cat, even if it is a program he can summon whenever he wants, is a strange choice. Um, and it's definitely not stated by the movie. Th this movie has uh, genuine flaws, and one of them is that some stuff just isn't explained. Like, it all makes emotional sense, and I think if you asked Lana, there is an answer for everything. Mm -hmm. But not all the answers made it into the script. Yeah, folks well, who take everything very, very literally are going to find this film infuriating. Well, and a lot of those answers were in an MMO from over a decade ago. Yeah. So, like, what Should've are we the MMO. Do? Yeah, come on. <laughs> Many of them were barely out of nappies at the time. <laughs> the oh, other diapers. thing is that this this is like they they specifically nest a lot of answers so that they're answering questions before they're asked or hmm. or, or answering questions like a long time after you would have asked them as the audience. So the, this is one of those things where I think like repeat viewings really does clear up a lot of things. Like the whole situation with the modal and Smithius and how that's left open by Neo is is kind of weird to follow the first time through. And the second time through, it's like, oh, I see. And and things like how the, the cat is how he controls bullet time. But but yeah, there's there's a very weird deliberation to this film's pacing that brings you along emotionally because you're like, why am I with Neo? What's up with Neo? Where's Trinity? And so you don't even get answers to questions like, 
what happened to Zion or mm. how are they alive until over an hour into the movie. Yeah. And it's a strange and unexpected ending tone as well. Not a bad one at all. The It's all four films have different endings. The first one, Neo flies up directly into the camera to the sounds of Rage Against the Machine going, Come on! Smash the system. Uh, at the end of the second one, it's, Oh my God, it's Bane! And he's got Agent Smith inside him. What's going to happen next? Tune in next week, folks. We'll be back in a few months' time to see the, the, the continuation of this one film that should have been one film and not two. <laughs> Uh, and then the third film is <gasps> Neo died for all of our sins and now the sun is out. Isn't that monumental? Don't you feel it? And then this one ends in a kind of, yeah, you know what? We felt like making some changes. <laughs> and it's it's such a... It, I, it was unexpectedly chill as an ending. Uh, it, like it's, it's, they're not out to smash the system. They're... <laughs> It's almost a refutation, and I don't know necessarily whether this was, uh, get, I, I can almost, I would imagine it's not at all uh, specific to this. The film Snowpiercer pisses me off like crazy because of the binary it presents at the end. You either destroy the entire human race or you become the system that keeps everyone in bondage. And well, this movie hates binaries. Bingo, yeah. And so this film was like, uh, you know what? We're not going to destroy the, the Matrix, thus killing billions of people. Uh, but at the same time, we are also not going to just go back into the boxes that you force us into. But ultimately, what it does present is that the better you know yourself, the more you can refine the world around you. Mm. Because ultimately, you're always seeing the world through your eyes. You can never not see the world through your perspective so the more you know and are comfortable with and are actualized through that perspective mm. the more you're going to transform the world in ways that are consistent with who you really are also the uh two the matrix two and three were most definitely made with extroverts and big audiences in mind where it's like yeah we're all together we're all fighting yeah yeah big guns together all cheering neo did it well done we did our bit everyone did our bit which is great because exactly as the one of my favorite lines in the whole series is the is very simple it's the oracle saying i'm interested in the future more than anything else and the only way we're going to get there is together so it's got that. But at the end of this, Neo and Trinity are together. And it almost, not so much that nothing else matters, but the fact that they have reunited is really significant for both of them to be able to survive with a new normal moving forwards. And I feel like that's, <laughs> it's actually weirdly more appropriate for, you know, coming through a pandemic and going, well, I just need, rather than to be able to, dance in a great big fucking rave with oh a thousand God, people no! in what they we call a, a super spreader event <laughs> just hang with one person that you trust and that will give you the strength to get through that may have been part of why the scene on the train made me nervous yeah maybe so i, I also think it's it's significant that they don't or or that they 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 tell the analysts like we're not here to negotiate they they do acknowledge the gains made by working with machines. But they also acknowledge the, you know, we tried, you know, negotiating with, you know, the the people who hold the, the reins of power with the system. And, you know, we're not going to try that again. 
We're going to take these advancements that we've made and these connections that we made, and we're just going to use them to live our lives with or without your permission. I adore Neil Patrick Harris, a gay man as a representation of toxic masculinity mm. uh, as the analyst in this movie. Like, uh, I noticed that he had a certain fuck you got mine energy about oh, him. Oh, he has a serious fuck you got mine energy. And it is uh, the amount of misogyny that he just drips once mm. he drops the facade is like really palpable like he hates women i mean he literally says as he's trying to reset everything women used to be so easy to control and just like Ugh. um yeah i also i i love that that before can't the you control out, her when she's kicking his mouth off oh, <laughs> it's just, and neo's just sitting there petting the cat like like he should and somebody the cat's referred like, to him oh. neo as becoming a golden retriever just being there to back trinity up that's someone who's what? never seen a golden retriever react to a burglar that's somebody who's never met like a pair of trans lesbians who are dating i don't understand this is a dynamic that i rev- I, I could see hmm. if i were to go and kick somebody's jaw off lynn would be behind me being like yeah that's about right <laughs> i'm sure she had a good reason for it i feel um, like neo is more of a husky than a golden retriever because uh, otherwise yeah like i said he'd just be running over to the um uh analyst and saying i mean you know you feel bad right now uh but if you just scratch my chest you'll feel a bit better <laughs> <laughs> well, who wouldn't feel better after petting Keanu Reeves? Nobody in existence. <laughs> but the but to, not to not to take away from Neil Patrick Harris, but like the the way you know you talk about Neo is that this film really does kind of not reframe but sort of solidify Neo as this very not and it's easy to look at him. Is a blank slate who's just like a whoa kind of like brain dead dude in the first movie but by the time you've looked at his his personality throughout the films especially here mm. it's like no this is a a quiet contemplative considerate person who's very interested in like the ideas and points of view of people he respects and he will take this all in and he will like very deliberately make considered choices that are like how do i how do i reach the the best end goal for for the people that I care about, and that you know the the end where he's you know like just kind of like hanging back while Trinity kicks the shit out of the analyst because that's what she's got to do. Like, I mean that's that's very in character for him, but it's also in character for Trinity who stormed into the Merovingians' lair. It's like, give me my boyfriend, or I'm gonna shoot in the head, dumbass. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like this yeah. has always been Trinity. Let's not pretend. Yeah, she's very uh, direct, and she's in love. She'll kill us all if she has to. <laughs> it's yeah, there it's abs- to Persephone, like, I am going to squish you like a bug. <laughs> it was absolutely uh, heart-rending to me that um, Trinity is the one who first uh, realizes the power of flight in this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, Shepard asks in an elevator, which I think was a Mass Effect reference. Uh, <laughs> Shepard asks in an elevator, didn't you used to be able to fly? And he's like, that's really cool. But then, like, you know, he tries, Neo tries to do it, and he is so visibly weighed down and tired by everything that he just, he can't fly like he used to. Mm. But Trinity, uh, even within the Matrix, has been trying to fly. That's what the motorcycles are all about. Mm. Yeah. Mm. There's also the fact that a lot of windows. Exactly. Aerodynamics has been like a defining aspect of her character. And if you actually, uh, you know, again, if you look at the the previous films, she brings him back to life with a kiss in the first movie. 
this having her sort of join him in oneness completely and again i I don't want to like you know badmouth the other sequels but one of my sticking points with revolutions is how it takes her off the board and then feels lesser for it Mm -hmm. and this basically saying like this has always been about neo being the one only because of his connection with her like she's literally the reason the agents find him in the first movie Mm -hmm. because she was talking about watching him with cypher on the phone and stretching back to if nothing else like as much as i love the 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 new characters carrie ann moss getting to ascend to this next level as the character is kind of phenomenal and it like even if i hated the rest of the movie i would love it for that last 10 minutes and what it does for her well the concept of the trinity is the expanded one it's the expanded god three beings in one god It is absolutely a story where the creator and creative team set out to do something specific, something very targeted and intentional. It's just not going to be the something specific that a lot of people wanted. Because it got critically panned as well as kind of uh, culturally ignored. It's an acquired taste, but clearly those who love it really love it. It, it's absolutely an expansion of all the ideas the Wachowskis have been toying with from Speed Racer on. Like, mm. it's got eight character, it's got eight actors from Sense Eight just kind of filling out the background cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe more, but I spotted eight, and I think that's intentional. Who wow. knows? Nice. And uh, the Wachowskis have just never been as big as they were with the Matrix One. Like, that was their big flash in the pan moment. Mm. They carried it on for the sequels, which sort of, car- which sort of, you know kept the flame alive a little, but uh, I mean, I don't blame people for not liking Speed Racer, but I don't know what people thought they were going to get out of uh, Jupiter Ascending. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, what did you think this movie was going to be? Lisa Frank's Dune. <laughs> I think that's going to be it for The Matrix for now. Uh, what the future holds, even the creators, stars, and producers don't know. But I suspect something which held such significance in the past will never go away completely. Uh, For perspective, there have been five Highlander movies, an anime, a cartoon, a live-action TV show and its spin-offs, and none of them have ever been successful. The Matrix is a cultural touchstone. It's a shared memory for so many of us, intergenerationally. So when it reappears in whatever form, School of Movies will be there. And I hope that our guests will be uh, there too, because I'd love to see, I'd I'd love to get some of this energy back on the show. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Before we unplug, let me ask our guests where you listeners can find their best work. Let us start with Brendan. You can find a, a, well, at this point, it's kind of redundant to read a spoiler-free review of The Matrix's Directions, <laughs> but uh, you, you can find that on normanner.blogspot.com, where I, I also post, like, that's going to make my, my year-end, be- you know, favorite movies list. You can also find me uh, fairly recently on uh, Matinee Heroes. We, we did a uh, Christmas episode on Catch Me If You Can, and you can also find me on uh, this very podcast talking about that, that spidered man who is, who is good in his No Way Home movie. He certainly is. Alexa. Uh, Yes, um, I am on most uh, social media centers as Pluto Burns. 
Twitter and YouTube being the big ones. My last big YouTube project was a Silent Hill retrospective, and I am super duper late on my questionable content webcomic review, which is about to get very trans and romantic, <laughs> so I'm going to squee all over that next one. So please look out for that. And finally, Victoria. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and most other places at Vixen Witch, where the W is two Vs. Uh, I don't do uh, much in the way of online content outside of this podcast. I'm going to do a really fun class on climate change this semester that's going to be a riot, uh, possibly I literally. My eyes are awesome. Well, oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Well, my uh, I had to assure my boss that the final wasn't advocating stochastic terrorism, and I couldn't quite promise that. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, uh, I, I mentioned it before. I do want to point if 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 anybody's listened to this and you haven't watched on YouTube, the Matrix sequels are good. Actually, with Sarah and Sophie, mm, a pair mm. of trans individuals talking about their love of the Matrix two and three, and unpacking a lot of different elements. They're lovely people. I actually had breakfast with Sarah not terribly long ago uh, when she was in town, oh, and nice. um, yeah, small world. Uh, I highly recommend that. I think it's a lot of fun. That that is a very good one. I watched it a couple nights ago. So that's that's me, and I'll I'll be back whenever Alex wants to download me from the construct. Maybe for maybe for Bound. Uh, I don't know. I got a copy of that movie. I've been meaning to watch. You've been meaning to. Have you not seen Bound yet? No. Oh, you're gonna love it. Love it. <laughs> you I, will I love get, that movie. I want to get both of my partners in the same room to watch it, and it's been a challenge given oh, yeah. COVID. So, but I actually happen. did that. I got both my girlfriends to watch it with me. Well, <laughs> oh! girlfriend, girlfriend, and them friend. School of Movies is brought to you by Patreon. School of Movies is brought to you by Patreon. And our top tier fifth... I can't even know who I'm doing at this point. <laughs> our top tier sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to... Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy... Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hebner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Okay. I, don't, I don't think your Neo voice is there. No, 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 sorry, I, I haven't practiced. I'll, no, because that's the thing. Like We learned over time that Neo was way smarter than we first took him for. It's a parallel with Keanu Reeves. Like He turned out to be a really decent guy.
Yeah. Uh, astonishingly decent. Yeah. Ke- Keanu, Johnny, Mnemonic, Silverhand, Reeves, just the, the best one. man. I, d- I don't know if any, if everyone's seen this, but like the way he takes photos with people, he does this kind of "I am presenting this person" as opposed to arm around the shoulder, arm around the waist, arm grabbing the ass. It's just like check this person out. Like Keanu Reeves is thrilled that he's met me. I mean, what a what a humble, decent, quality guy. Get you a man who could do both. (laughs) Next week, after many requests, we cover Hawkeye. It's important to note that since recording this episode, I've subsequently seen The Matrix 4 again, and it's a grower. I engaged with it a lot more this time, and Willow claiming it as their Matrix, that's a fairly precious accolade. But here's one last thing that Pluto had to say. I have a short story I want to tell about my transition in The Matrix. The Matrix came out when I was nine, and I got to see it one year later on DVD. It was the first R-rated movie I ever saw, and also one of the first DVDs in our house. Of course it blew me away, the first Matrix movie is an astonishing piece of filmmaking. I was able to see the sequels in theaters, and like many people was kinda down on them at the time, at which point I lost track of the Wachowskis. I didn't really see much of their work until Sense8 hit Netflix. Sense8 landed at a great time for me to get obsessed with it. I was looking for any way to get my thoughts out. I decided I wanted to do a podcast on it and reach out on Twitter for anyone interested in co-hosting. Somehow I was put in touch with Eleanor Lockhart, a writer somewhat well known for penning a piece on The Matrix as a trans allegory. Now this podcast never finished like so many internet projects, but she and I have stayed in touch and become close friends. Through her and other connections, I became immersed in the trans side of Twitter, seeing stories and learning about the community. This eventually led to me experimenting with my own gender presentation and my own transition, which is just about one year old this month. There are many ways that The Matrix works as a metaphor for transition, but one off-sided is Morpheus describing the feeling of being trapped inside The Matrix, a splinter in your mind. This is generally pointed to as similar to a feeling of dysphoria, the sensation of your internal self-image and your outward presentation not being in accordance. But this does not accurately describe my pre-transition life. I recognize that my path to transition has been atypical, but I did not always know I was a girl, nor did I really mess around much with feminine presentation. It was not a constant pressure that I was aware of, I did not generally experience dysphoria. My transition has been more heavily defined by gender euphoria. I became a girl not because being a man made me miserable, but because I'm so much happier as a woman. So there I am, a newly minted trans girl, and a new Matrix film is coming! The Wachowskis are the only trans directors getting to work on such grand-scale blockbusters, and The Matrix is their own personal baby. Of course I roll up to see this with as many in-real-life gays as I can. And it made me cry tears of joy in the cinema. The Matrix Resurrections is about an astonishing amount of ideas, but what it ends with is an expression of love and joy at two people finding their true selves. Trinity and Neo flying into the sky was one of the most pure expressions of euphoria I have ever seen. And to know that it was absolutely supposed to represent my own feelings of gender euphoria is something I will never be able to thank Lana and her team enough for.
hold my hands and pray for rain I got a head full of ideas That are driving me insane This is shame The way she makes me Scrub the floor Why? 